1: Welcome listeners to episode 131 of the Odd Nauseam Podcast. My name is Dr. Jeff Winkle. I'm down here in the bunker. In the vomitorium, once again with my good friend and co-host Dr. David Noe sitting there at the other end of the table. How are you feeling tonight, Dave?
0: I'm feeling pretty good, you, actually. You, you
1: came in. You, I met you in the parking lot, and you were very peppy.
0: I was pumped.
1: Yeah, I was. It was almost too much for me to handle.
0: <laughs> I was ready to go. Yes,
1: you are. Do
0: you like the working title for this episode? I
1: do. I that's, don't say it though. Are you sure? It, we got to keep it. It's, it's great.
0: It's not so good. It's
1: very good. <laughs> it's excellent, and that's why we have to. We have to. The listener will have to wait to find it on the website. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that.
0: <clears throat> yeah. You 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 you're you're, uh, you're having some troubles tonight winkle
1: is I'm, that right i'm i'm dragging a little bit I, think I, yeah. was, I was just telling you my my dear wife has been very sick and so um i'm trying not to catch what she's got mm. so i've been s- sleeping on the on the couch and watching too much late night bad TV. The satay,
0: the, the Duvon. Yeah, exactly. The Duvon.
1: Your legs hanging over the edge. Oh, that's oh, it's terrible. Horrible.
0: Finding bits of popcorn and oh. old coins in the cushions.
1: <laughs> right, it reminds me of being in college, and it was, just, <laughs> but not the fun part. Could
0: they pay you to go back to that? No, no, way.
1: No. no, not a chance. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear yeah. you're, you're struggling. I'm
1: struggling a little bit, but right. I, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my absolute best to bring it this evening. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling well. And how am I doing? I asked you how you were doing. Did you really? Yes, and you said you were feeling great. Okay, right. yeah,
0: I'm doing really well. I got a, uh, I got a new business opportunity coming up, and maybe I thought maybe like a piece of it.
1: Oh, really? What you got going on?
0: Well, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna join a, a, a pumpkin firm, kind of a, you know, fall spice, autumn spice sort of thing. Okay. All right. And uh, we're gonna buy and sell pumpkins, and I just thought you might want to get in on the gourd level. <laughs>
1: Tracks now. Yeah. If you're not gonna laugh, I gotta get it somewhere. <laughs> oh my god! Was that so bad? Oh, I, I think I think it's a little hackneyed. Okay, are we are we that desperate that we have to kind of we have to kind of uh, we have to direct the audience? Just of, trying to keep it fresh. Is that, that's all it is. I <laughs> think
0: probably the reason you're objecting, yeah, to the laugh track is it didn't follow one of your puns.
1: Oh, I think. Oh, could it, that be it? This is your version of you're just jealous?
0: That's correct. Gotcha. <laughs>
1: right, right. Well, I know, actually, you know, I think about it. I, I do appreciate it because this play that we're talking about tonight, right. not funny. It's no, not, not at all. Not at all funny. <laughs> the only time
0: I thought there might have been a slightly lighthearted moment is mm-hmm. when there was the description of Io going along cowhorned. There were a couple <laughs> phrases like that where uh-huh. I thought, is that possibly being played for laughs? Man, uh, or with with the description of Io becoming a cow, does Aeschylus want us to find them moving? Maybe. Oh
1: <laughs> man! Oh. <laughs> oh man! You're you're front you're front loading the episode with these, man. The only thing yes. along those lines that I thought let's get serious that's, uh, that might be meant to be somewhat humorous is ocean's arrival right he, he's in some kind of ridiculous chariot drawn by some four-footed birds as he says it, is
0: this billy ocean
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, the caribbean queen arrives Right, right, right. 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 <laughs> uh, but maybe that is supposed to be kind of over the top and ridiculous but yeah. i don't think aeschylus i don't when i think of aeschylus i don't think that you know that guy that guy is a, a barrel of laughs yeah right. oh no no, no 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 definitely not right
0: and ocean is there for what like It's, is Ocean's 11, 12 lines? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, this is gonna be hard to get through. Okay, man. Right. we have no
0: shout out. <laughs> we don't primarily because no one would want to be associated with such a show. Right. but okay. may-
1: Maybe we could promise if we if we were the shout, we they, we could drop a laugh track. There and, you go. If, if they, you mean,
0: drop it like get rid
1: of it and not do it again. No, no, no. Drop it in there. Oh yeah. Like to respond if they if they want to have like a a humorous shout out. That's and, right. And, right. Yeah.
0: Well, so Billy Ocean was a um a real performer, right? He
1: was. Yeah, he had a couple of he had a number of kind of big hits in the late '80s. I mid-80s. get him
0: confused with Billy Idol and Billy Joel. I mean, how many Billies can you have?
1: You, it's hard to keep track of your Billies, right? Yes, right. But uh, Billy Osha, uh, Caribbean Queen. He also okay. had a uh, uh, "Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car." Oh, that was that. Right. He yeah. is he British? Uh, I think he's uh, um, I think he's Trinidadian. Really? Yes.
0: Oh, I should know that. You should know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no shout out, no. but we do have an opening quote. We do, and uh, probably the audience is wondering other than stupidity what is this episode about
1: right we are this is part two um of an episode on Aeschylus' prometheus bound correct right so if you didn't listen to the previous one uh, a listener you'll go catch up you might want to go back yep and catch up yep and so uh, shall I read this opening quote? I would David? like this. All this right. is from uh, David Constan. Yes, a notable classicist yes. and translator.
0: And I believe kid? I met him once. Did you really? Yes, I don't have a funny story like you with Hugh Lloyd Jones and the, <laughs>
1: the upside-down name tag. Upside-down <laughs>
0: name tag, but I think I met him at the University of Iowa back in the day. Really? Was mm-hmm.
1: he in town speaking? Yes, yeah. it was
0: a he was a a guest lecturer. Yeah. Very impressive speaker if I'm remembering correctly.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this comes from an article of his uh, called The Ocean Episode in The Prometheus Bound from the the journal History of Religions way back in 1977.
0: It uh, was a long time ago.
1: Right. So we're going to get to this episode where Ocean, uh, the, the god Ocean Oceanos, comes to visit Prometheus Bound. So you know the whole play is structured about Prometheus. He is chained. He's fixed to the rock.
0: By Hephaestus. By Hephaestus. And Bia, violence, and Kratos, power.
1: Right, which we covered last time. And the chorus comes to visit him, and then Ocean comes to visit him, Io comes to visit him, Hermes comes to visit him, so that's kind of the structure of the play.
0: So it's not and, bad enough that he's, he's pinned to the Caucasus mountain and right. suffering that way. He has to put up with an endless string of visitors. <laughs> exactly.
1: All these pop-ins. That's right. right. <laughs> right. And uh, Ocean is is one of the the more puzzling ones.
0: He's and, a titan.
1: He's a titan, right, but uh, critics have have kind of uh, struggled to kind of understand what why is this scene here? and what, what is he up to? What, and what's right. the point of this? And so uh, Constant writes, the critics have not been kind to Ocean. His character is, a, uh, is as a rule, not either neglected or disparaged in discussions of the Prometheus bound. Some, for example, have seen him as a lackey of Zeus, trying to undermine Prometheus's proud resistance against despotism. To others, he has appeared as a kindly but foolish and cowardly figure who serves, at best, only incidental dramatic functions such as comic relief, in interruption of Prometheus's lengthy monologue, or a foil to set Zeus's tyrannical oppression and the passionate indignation of, of Prometheus. Okay. Set off the uh, uh, the passionate indignation. It is acknowledged, to be sure, that Ocean is definitely brought to life with his pompous officiousness and prattle, and thus is rescued from being a mere cardboard character, but this is attributed to Aeschylus's skill and generosity towards his personae, like the watchman in the Agamemnon or the nurse in the Coiferee. Ocean is rarely said, however, to serve any larger dramatic purpose.
0: Okay, now right. I just have to throw a flag here. Yeah. What's the soccer equivalent of flo- uh, throwing a flag?
1: Um, this is a yellow C- cards card. Cards of different colors, right? A yellow and then a red card. Yes. Okay, I
0: got to raise a yellow card here.
1: On, da- on Dave Constant. Yes, here? I do. Okay, please. Yep.
0: He says, um, <clears throat> "Ocean is deftly brought to life, and thus is rescued from being a mere cardboard character." Mm-hmm. Really, ocean as a cardboard character? I-, I just don't see that.
1: You don't. You don't see it. No, you don't
0: that- describe ocean as a cardboard character.
1: Well, he, well, he's saying he's rescued from being one.
0: I see. Yes. Okay. okay. It's cardboard, Jeff. Yeah. It's ocean. <laughs> it doesn't wash. <laughs> I got
1: gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Never, right. never mind. All right. All right. All right.
0: It's a picky point, but I it, the, I hate mixed metaphors. I got gotcha.
1: you. No, I hear the you. The
0: dogs of war have come home to roost. <laughs> this kind of thing, you've heard this, <laughs> yeah. right?
1: Right. 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 Okay. I got gotcha. you. Um, but so, the larger point. The larger point. So, well, uh, so Constantine goes on to, on to argue that. There is a, uh, a thematic and structural purpose to this episode. Uh, to this uh, episode with Ocean, right? And we'll get to it later. We'll um, we'll return to his article, but I thought it would be interesting, like for us to to read the scene and talk about the scene, kind of see where we fall, and then we see yes. where, where Constant kind of uh, comes out on this.
0: I think that's a very good approach to this. Okay. All right. And something else that struck me that I'd like to keep our eye on as we go through the play. Yeah. Um. The first time I read this many, many years ago, uh, I don't think I've ever taught this one in class. I never taught it either. No, I don't know why, And now that I think about it, because it's it's fairly compelling and it's short, which students always love. Yes. Um, But the first time I read it, as opposed to now, I am struck by the character of Io, And I'm filled with much more uh, compassion and and, um, commiseration for her. And I just wonder what the meaning is. Why include this particular um, character as a counterpoint to um, Prometheus, right? And this is something Professor Roberts talks about somewhat in her introduction, but I think it's a, a potentially rich vein of interpretation. Sure,
1: no, I'm, I'm with you. Right, I'm. I remember I, I was part of a graduate seminar where we read this play, and I remember my professor being of the opinion that um, yeah, the the figures like Ocean and figures like Io, they are uh, the best way to read them as kind of a larger symbols. For um, the the lar- uh the bigger groups out there, so Ocean is kind of a stand-in mm. for the gods that um, Prometheus is up against. Io is a stand-in for humi- humanity writ large. Oh, and so I don't know. We we'll, 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 we can see where this goes potentially. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. So as we get into it, yeah.
0: uh, Prometheus tells the Oceanids yes. right. So these are the daughters of Ocean, right? Oceanus. Uh, that even so, Zeus will need him. Yes. Now, the, the really only plot device, you might say, or the, the plot hinge point throughout the en- entire story, mm-hmm. is that Prometheus has special knowledge, which Zeus wants to get out of him. Yes. But surprisingly, little time is spent on that point, I would say.
1: Right, right. It, um, you're right. It was one of the things that um, kind of frustrated me, this, this go around of reading the play, that just the business of, of Prometheus' foreknowledge that um, at times, Aeschylus is suggesting. Of course, that's his. That's the ace up his sleeve, right? Right. Um, he knows what's going to happen, and Zeus doesn't. So Zeus is time bound, and Prometheus, in many ways, is not. But there were also places in the play that I I, I thought that uh, Prometheus seems to be limited in his knowledge, mm. and and it, it's it, it also kind of it drained some of the drama for me uh, in that if Prometheus knows exactly what's going to happen, he, yes, he's suffering and suffering terribly, but he knows how it's going to end. Yeah. It kind of robs it for me a little bit of, mm. its, of its drama, of its punch. That's not very Greek. I'm not saying this, I'm just saying how I'm reading it. Okay. Right? okay.
0: I expected you to read it in a Greek way. Okay, oh, well, well. If you know there's some approaching dread, yes. um, knowing that it's coming makes it uh, not so bad?
1: No, I'm talking about like Prometheus knows that his suffering is going to end.
0: Uh, right. But that brings him no relief, you're saying?
1: Well, it's it's it should bring him some relief right I, I'm saying that he okay you know, I guess what I'm saying is why should we sob with Prometheus right if we know that he knows is that this is simply temporary yeah right I think that if this okay. were if, if, the, if the threat was like this is Prometheus suffering for eternity mm. that's that is a, a dread worth dreading
0: yes so right? here I'm gonna bring out the e word again okay and it's not exciting it's existential okay because in the moment It is an existential crisis. The pain is so intense and it's so unjust that even though he will eventually be relieved from it, released from it 10,000 years from now, that has nothing to do with the intensity of the moment.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. We're
0: sounding like opposites of each other now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sounding, I'm sounding a Wyn Kelly and you're sounding like me.
1: I think one of the nice tensions in the play is that, well, we're kind of getting ahead of things, but when the ocean it's uh they press prometheus like well well, what did you do for humanity right Right? and he says even before he says, he says i gave them fire which is the thing that he's most famous for right Right. he says i gave them blind hopes right i stopped them from seeing the The time of their death the time of their death i I stopped them from from having the the foresight that that i have right right and so uh, that when you know when io later on begs him you know please tell me um, when, 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 or if my sufferings are going to end, and he really hesitates to do so, he says, "You don't want to know these kinds of things, right?" right? Um, but at the same time, it would seem that on Prometheus's part, because he has this ace up his sleeve, because he has this knowledge that one day um, he will he will be able to kind of uh, you know call the shots with Zeus, that doesn't bring him any kind of relief, right? Right? And maybe that's just a w- another way of underlining that but Prometheus himself kind of wishes that. He didn't have the foreknowledge that he has. He sees it as a curse for himself as well. Right, right. But, yeah, I don't know. Well,
0: I don't know. I mean, if I can um, just develop that a little bit further, perhaps. Yeah. I'm looking at Professor Roberts' edition here, and I'm looking at page 14, mm-hmm. and she has this a really excellent footnote, which taught me something. She says, a later version of this story, Prometheus uh, removing from people the knowledge of their time of death appears in Plato's Gorgias, where Prometheus sa- is said to have prevented humans from foreseeing the time of their death, not out of pity for their condition, but so that they might be more fairly and accurately judged.
1: Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That is really interesting.
0: So I guess the idea is if you know what time you're going to die, you can't be accurately judged because you might decide at the last minute to change the way you've lived. <laughs>
1: I guess so. And then the
0: judge has to count, you know, the last 10 minutes of your life or something. Oh. Whereas if it sneaks up on you as a surprise, you're just kind of caught in the act of whatever good or bad behavior oh, I see. is your typical pattern. Gotcha. gotcha That's right. how I understood it. Is there another yeah, way? No,
1: I, I like that. I get, um, the the image that, that leaps to mind is the story of Constantine waiting until his deathbed to be baptized. Oh, yeah. Right? And right. So, yeah. Well, the <laughs> theological
0: reason is, you know, you got to got to crack some heads sometimes right. if you're the roman emperor exactly. you don't want to be guilty of that
1: right exactly So he saved that till, the, till right. the very very end right right. so no that's i had never heard of that that interpretation of
0: yeah it's in the gorgias i, I had you, overlooked that
1: yeah that's interesting so hmm. that um that i mean that that footnote goes on so there may be an allusion here to the pandora story right in Hesiod. pandora given to mortals by the gods releases all sorts of evil from the jar she brings with it leaving in it only hope right, right. um That's really interesting. I mean, that's certainly not the vibe I get from this play. No. I mean, he does talk about uh, uh, um, the the pity that he has for mortals. Yes.
0: The one dominant theme is Prometheus is being unjustly punished. Yes. And he's being unjustly punished for doing something good for human beings. Right.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think it in some ways is the easiest play to summarize in terms of meaning. Yeah. Uh, After reading the Agamemnon of Aeschylus, what's it about? In terms of deep issues, it's yeah. an absolutely riveting and fascinating play. Yeah, uh, but what is it about?
1: I, I like the Agamemnon in that we have the other two parts of the trilogy. Yes. so if you see the, the, the kind of the, the first play as part of a of a of a whole, right? I mean, that makes it better. But you're right, as a standalone play, uh, you know, what is going on
0: there? There's all kinds of important moral themes, right? Adultery, betrayal, uh, knowledge. Um, how vexing the marriage is between Agamemnon and Clytemnestra. So he's officially the villain, but she's far more wicked. Right. 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 And so appearances are deceiving. Right. Or you think about, um, Oedipus Rex, Mm -hmm. Uh, after teaching Oedipus Rex many, many, many times and studying it pretty deeply, I feel like I'm able to articulate the main points and issues to the students. When we talk about it. Yeah. But, um, it's not like this. I mean, this this Prometheus bound seems so straightforward.
1: Right, right, exactly. So Prometheus is, is suffering unjustly, and then, and also a theme that really starts cropping up in, in the first third, and then throughout throughout is the uh, the business of necessity. Right, right. The necessity is the deity at which every knee must, must that's bow. That's right. right. There's no escape. There's no escape from necessity. I mean, th- that's also in the Agamemnon too. right? Um, yes. He's the uh, Agamemnon put his neck in the in the strap of necessity when he decided to kill Iphigenia.
0: Right. Ananke. Right. right but again for a point of comparison think of uh euripides um hippolytus Mm -hmm. right where the young man uh refuses to worship aphrodite he worships only artemis yes so the idea is self-control and uh, abstention from pleasure generally has to have a limit Hmm. you know don't overdo that or it too becomes destructive yeah that seems like a pretty easy uh conclusion to draw but um so, so maybe I guess it's that's a little bit like Prometheus Bound. Yeah. I guess I'm the point I'm simply making is that other plays of Aeschylus seem like they're more complicated.
1: Yeah, I would totally I would, thematically. I would definitely agree with that. Yes. Yeah. And this is
0: not an, an insight original to me. It's just it stands out when we start thinking about the themes. What,
1: is that something that would maybe cause you to think that maybe this isn't Aeschylean?
0: I don't have the you know capacity to okay. say that. Okay. We'd have to examine a lot of other details. Right.
1: Right, 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 yeah.
0: But, I mean, if you asked a student, right, you're signing this on an essay, and let's say they read, you know, one from one from Aeschylus, Prometheus Bound, one from Sophocles, they read Oedipus at Colonus, what in the world is that play about, yeah. right? <laughs> and they read Euripides' Bacchae, mm-hmm. and you say, you know, uh, summarize these plays. Well, the ho- easiest one to summarize is Prometheus Bound. Yeah. The, the other two, much more complex in terms of theme.
1: Right, right, Yeah. Let's get let's get back into the text here. So, um we we're kind of jumping ahead of things. Yeah, that's okay. So, uh the, the chorus o- arrives. The chorus arrives. The right. daughters of Ocean, and um, I like this chorus. They they stick with Prometheus to the very bitter end. Yes. They don't abandon him. Right. They, I mean, they do what choruses do. They weep and wail, and they wring their hands. They
0: dance. They dance. They strophe and antistrophe.
1: Exactly. With the best of them. That's correct. Right. And they worry and they wonder and
0: they and they. Should p- we define those terms just in case there are some folks out in the audience? The, what in the world is a strophe?
1: A strophe is a, is a is a turn, and then right. an antistrophe is a turn in the, in the other direction. Right. right? So, so it, at
0: some point the chorus divides up into a dyad. And sings back and forth to each other.
1: Right, right. So there's a lot we, with, with tragedy. There's a lot, you know, visually and sonically that we don't we don't know. Right. Um, but um, from well, there's face paintings and such. That's and, right. And uh, we also theater. have
0: something called didascalia, which are kind of show notes. Right. In places, comments uh, on the manuscripts as to how these may have been performed. Right, right, right. There's a lot of speculation, a lot of uncertainty as to how reliable they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, even in in some of the manuscripts too, it, it's unclear who's saying what, right? right? So you'll see in different translations that some lines are credited to uh, different characters and right. such. And so it's not, it's not. I mean, it's not a, I, at the end of the day. I don't think it's a huge deal, um, but there are questions about. Uh, there's a lot of questions about what tragedy looked in, and sounded like, and there's there's only so much you can take from the page. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So when the chorus uh, first appears, mm-hmm. right? Would you say Prometheus is optimistic?
1: It's as optimistic as he gets, right? Okay. I, w- I wouldn't say that Prometheus is, uh, he's not, uh, he doesn't look on the, the sunny side of things. He's right? more of
0: a liver half empty kind of guy. Right,
1: exactly, exactly. right. So, I mean, there is, I mean, the, I, I read it early on when he's talking about that, you know, eventually Zeus will come around because he knows eventually yes. Zeus will come around. Um, and he seems to be actually kind of almost relax. i think i in in thinking about his own future i think he's kind of just delighted to have some company
0: yes right oh yeah you know he's he's despite the fact that it's a pop-in
1: it's a pop-in right exactly right they just they uh they just showed on up without an invite right um but he does seem to be he he seems to be um warmed by their their presence Mm -hmm. right and the fact that um you compared to ocean compared to io certainly compared to hermes Uh, The Daughters of Ocean seem to have genuine concern. Yes. Compassion
0: for them. They're sweet. Right. Yeah. So do you want me to indulge in a number of ocean-related puns when the chorus shows up? Bring it on. Okay. Yes. Now we'll wait for later.
1: Okay. All right. All right. All right, Dave. One of the things that that I really like about Greek tragedy, especially um, when I was a student new to it, is that uh, it very often will kind of fill in all the background that you need. Right. right. I mean, there's some assumed knowledge, but a lot of the characters will, will give you the backstory. Right. And so early on, um, Prometheus, he, he tells the story to the the oceans. They want to know, right? They Throughout the play, they want to know. What are know. you doing here? What are you doing here? What's going on? And so he fills them in on the background. And, and would you read some Greek there starting at, at line 199? Sure,
0: I'd love to. So these are, uh, what's it, 199 through 204? Mm-hmm. And these are, uh, um, what are these, uh, trokies, I believe? Oh, we got so. iambic trimiters here.
1: I am not sure. I think this is trimiters.
0: Okay. Yep. So, Alge namen moikai lagain nestintade. Algas de sigan pan de dus patma. Epe tachist erxan to dai mones kalu. Stasis ten ale loi sin or rothu nata. Hoiment the lontesek hedras cronon. Hos zelfs anas
1: Nicely done. Thank you. Nicely done. But I was, as you were reading it, it also struck me is that um, I'm sure Aeschylus includes these lines not just to you know, flesh out the story, but uh, as we were talking last time, is that he's probably taking his cue from Hesiod, but he's also doing some different things. Yes. And so by adding the,
0: into the mix, right, some special touches that are not Hesiodic. Exactly. In and so and
1: this is a, this is a perfect way to tell the audience about where exactly he's coming from.
0: You're going to read for us some of uh, Professor Roberts' translation of this portion and a little more?
1: And a little more, yeah. So Prometheus says, it hurts me to even speak about these things, but it hurts to keep quiet. Misfortune on all sides. Back when the gods first started to get angry and civil war sprang up, one party wanted to unseat Cronos and to throw him out. So Zeus could reign, of course, but others urged the reverse, that Zeus should never rule the gods. I gave the best advice, but failed to persuade the Titans, children of heaven and earth. They despised my wily schemes. They were so sure it would be no trouble to gain power by force. But more than once, my mother, Themis, the earth, one being one being with many names, had given me a prophecy of what would come to be, that strength and force were worthless, and that those superior in trickery would win. But even though I explained this carefully, they didn't think it worth consideration. Of my alternatives, this was the best. To take my mother with me and join Zeus, I was a welcome and willing aid. Okay, so if I can
0: just pause you there for a minute. Yeah. What do you make of this uh, relationship between Prometheus and Themis? Themis, Mother Earth, uh, some special kind of knowledge that she has? This is not really explained in the play, is it?
1: It's not really. I mean, Themis is associated with oracles, right? And so you find uh, temples and shrines to to Themis at both Dodona and Delphi. Right. So I think certainly Aeschylus is underlining uh, Prometheus's um, connection with, with future knowledge. Um, and I think we know the last time that this is uh, a detail that's not in Hesiod, but I don't think we learned that the, of Prometheus's mother's name in Hesiod. And so, no. But Themis comes up uh, a few times in this play. Right. Yeah.
0: So this is just a way to explain why it is that Prometheus has this special knowledge?
1: I think so, and another way to kind of consider him trustworthy in this. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. Can you go on then?
1: Yes. It's through my plans that Tartarus's dark depths conceal the ancient Kronos and his allies. And for my help, the tyrant of the gods has paid me with this wretched compre- recompense Tyrants are subject to a kind of sickness. They have no trust in family or friends. You ask me at what charge Zeus tortures me? I'll make it clear. As soon as he was seated on his father's throne, he gave each god a gift, sharing out power. But the wretched mortals are valueless to him. And so he wanted to annihilate the entire population and introduced another in its place.
0: Okay, so if I can interrupt you again. Yes. Just follow the the flow of the story here. He's talking about the Titanomachy. Yes, right? right. The battle of the gods and the titans. Prometheus sided with the gods, which is really contrary, isn't it, to the rest of his kin. Yes. And so the the deep injustice is, of all the Titans, Prometheus is the only one. His brother Atlas was on the other side, right? Yeah, yep. Prometheus is the only one who had the wisdom and foresight to actually help Zeus, and now he's being punished for his kindness. Right,
1: exactly, exactly. Uh, And finishing up here, no one resisted him except for me. I had the courage. It was I who saved them from being crushed, from going down to Hades. For that, I'm bent by agonies like these, painful to suffer, pitiful to see. I pitied mortals, and myself was judged unworthy of pity. Instead, I'm disciplined without mercy, a sight to win Zeus's infamy.
0: So Prometheus is like the Mr. T of antiquity?
1: Um, What do you mean? uh, Oh, he pities pities the fool? Right. Okay. (laughs) Right, right. All right, now I, I got some I got some questions here, though. Okay. Right, him up. I think we, we touched about, a little bit been upon this last time, but uh, the motive for Prometheus' is helping of mortals, right? He's often painted as this... We talked about Prometheus as kind of a proto-Christ figure, right? He suffer, yes. suffers on behalf of mortals. Um, uh, but why does he... Does he pity them out of compassion? Is this just kind of a selfless love for mortals? Or is the... The background to this is that, you know, why did Zeus want to annihilate mortals? Because he saw them as another generation that could potentially rise up and overthrow them. He sees right. them as a threat. Right. And so Zeus, or uh, Prometheus is kind of using also mortals, helping mortals as a way to kind of deal with his his um, his rivalry with Zeus. Not so much because he has real compassion for them, but they're just another tool to be used in this back and forth.
0: But the rivalry with Zeus, it didn't come until after he helped the mortals, right? It was Zeus's decision to destroy the mortals that Mm. led to the rivalry, I believe is how the chronology goes.
1: Okay, okay, all right.
0: So I think that this is something that's pretty much unexplained in the play. Why does Prometheus have pity on mortals? Because mortals are... Pitiable? uh, Pitiable. (laughs) They're pitiful, right? Yeah. They are uh, creatures that are contemptuous in some sense in the eyes of the gods. Yeah. So maybe this does add a slight layer of interpretive complexity to what I was saying before. It's not simply that Prometheus is being punished so unjustly, but there's some complexity in his character because he loves mortals without explanation.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Okay. You got another question? No, no. I think you, that you kind of adjusting the, the chronology for me, that, that really helped. Um, but I have also this detail about how Prometheus tried to Persuade his fellow Titans that let's use let's use craftiness right? Right. Um, before we kind of break out the the spears and, and such, and they wouldn't listen to him.
0: Perhaps perhaps some credence can be given to your second suggestion, if we remember what you read. Tyrants are subject to a kind of sickness; they have no trust in family or friends. Mm-hmm. So maybe Prometheus, with his foresight, is already perceiving Zeus is generally going to be. An awful ruler. Right. And here's the first instance. He wants to destroy mortals for no good reason. Hm. Okay. Is that kind of what you were angling yeah, at? Yeah,
1: I guess so. I guess so. It just it's that it's that problem of, of of motive. You know, I get I it always it always strikes me as I always hear it as a wrong note when when I hear Prometheus described as kind of a as a Christ figure, because I don't think he really falls into that. No, there that, are so many problems those, with that right, analysis. Right, but There's it, but, a definite,
0: what you could call a prima fascia, right? A surface kind of comparison. But I think, as we've talked about many times, probably will some more, you dig below the surface, a lot of those similarities, they're not based on much.
1: No, no. And I think that this is one of them. And so that motive of Prometheus, of why he cares for mortals, is one that's always kind of bugged me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think certainly Aeschylus, is, he's setting up um, a Prometheus that... Um, he wants the audience to to pity him and, right. to, and to side with him, right? And uh, and so he's he's he doesn't want to use br- brute force. He wants to use his matis, right? right. And so I mean, he's he's acting like a like an Odysseus. He's right. acting like a, a the kind of hero that a, a Greek might be drawn to. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, do we want to take it in a in a political direction? Let's next? let's do this. Yeah. Okay. Right. So one of the ways that this play has been interpreted, mm-hmm. and I think that you mentioned it last time in the previous yeah. episode, is as a response. To the um, recent Pisistratid tyranny, right, um, which was overthrown in Athens at the end of the sixth century, yes, and overwhelmed by now a kind of Themistoclean or Periclean democracy, right. So, can you say more
1: about that for the sake of the audience? So, um, in, as far as interpreting the, the play is, the um, the question is then, was who or what does does Zeus represent? And so, there's lots of talking you know, that that word tyranny is, is thrown around um, when describing Zeus's behavior. So, what tyranny? is Zeus, uh, representing is, is Prometheus, or is Aeschylus referring to these, these, this huge political upheaval that ushered in this experiment with democracy in the very early part of the fifth century, uh, BC. Um, I've also, I, I remember my, my professor in grad school who said, you know, the best interpretation is, um, Who do these characters represent? What's the bigger picture? Okay. And so now, now did he give a justification for that uh, as uh, to why this is the best interpretation? You know, uh, he he may have, but uh, remembering this professor probably not. He just he liked to kind of uh, just kind of pronounce these fiat's from on high. Okay. And say this is how you should do it. Is that how you run a class? (laughs) Uh, That is not how I run a class. Okay. In grad school, I learned mostly kind of what not to do, Um, but I remember him saying that okay well you know well which tyranny uh is he responding to the uh, the persisterted tyranny he's referring to the tyranny of um uh, the persian uh, kings coming in is he is he referring to that kind of um uh, political upheaval um in the 490s and the 480s right and it's I think, I mean, it's an interesting approach. And so I think Aeschylus is definitely, I think, as all tragedians were, they were speaking to the audience in front of them at that time. Yeah. And I think the Greeks expected these tragedies to be commenting, uh, to be doing politics as a kind of an extension of what they were doing in the assembly. Interesting. Right. Interesting.
0: So I'd like to pick up on that for a minute, but I just want to give a, a little more background on something, try to get some dates in people's minds, because I think this is useful. It's helpful review for me. Yeah. I think uh, from what I'm reading here, this site... Um, Sistratus ruled till around 527, mm-hmm. but then, and it wasn't easy for him to gain the tyranny. There was a lot of conflict with the Alcmaenid family, but then after his departure, right, then his two sons, Hippias and Hipparchus ruled. That's right. And this goes to 510. So the earliest date for the composition of this play is what? The- maybe 585, maybe before... Well, five fifty-five uh, would be way too. I'm sorry, four eighty-five.
1: Right, I think. Um, I was reading four seventy-nine is one of the earliest okay. dates. Um,
0: and the latest, maybe sometime near the time of Aeschylus's death. Right. Assuming well, he's the author.
1: Yeah, and if he's not the author, maybe some people push it even to the into the four twenties. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think Aeschylus dies four fifty-six. I want to say. Okay. Um. So, so if it, if it, if it was four seventy-nine, um, would we still be putting on a play talking about events of? 30, 40 years prior? That doesn't and seem likely. I, I don't know. I I, I don't know.
0: It's I, hard to know about how, how quickly certain things can move out of the um, public consciousness, you might say. Right, right. Uh, Peter Green told me when I was in graduate school that certain persons in parts of Asia still have an oral tradition of Alexander the Great's invasion hmm. 2,000 years later. <laughs> hard to believe. It is hard to
1: believe, right. But
0: apparently it's possible. Wow.
1: I and mean, that's amazing, right? It, But... I, I this just talking it kind of it reminds me how I can easily kind of get stuck into these modes that the idea that every tragedy um, was always speaking politics to the audience of the day about that time and I don't know if that's true. I, no,
0: I, yeah, I know what you're saying. I think a, uh, this is the way that I like to look at it. Maybe it's worth considering, is that the. The play has to have some immediate uh, immediate application to the audience, mm-hmm. but so often the themes that the poet is developing, he intends them to be of universal yes. value. Yes, exactly. And this is really the reason why we're reading them today. Right. In other words, if they were so restricted uh, to their time, they wouldn't be interesting. Here's an example. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I guess there was a lot of turmoil in the U.S., maybe just a week ago, in the U.S. Congress- There was, uh, you know, one speaker of the house was pushed out. Another was pushed in. There was some office swapping and so forth. Yeah. I didn't follow it closely, but I read a couple of articles in the paper. If that were turned into a tragedy uh, a thousand years from now, it would be of very little interest if it dealt with just the facts of what happened. Yes. But if it tried to represent the persons as having in their characters types of, you know, hubris or humility Whatever the, the types are, then in the hands of a you know sufficiently able poet, maybe not this episode, but something like that, yeah,
1: it could be of enduring interest. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. And so the, maybe the the political moment is a can be a springboard for right. telling a much bigger story. So I, it, uh, I'm again, audience, forgive us if we're repeating ourselves, but um, so when Oedipus the King is first produced it's on the heels of the plague uh, in Athens, right? Yes. And so the the play opens in Thebes, but it opens that there's a plague in the city and this is a problem that needs to be solved. Right. That immediate connection is, it it cannot be coincidental. No,
0: no. But. To the actual, you're saying to the actual historical plague. Exactly. Which decimated Athens, decimated is the wrong word, it's a a third of the population perhaps died. 429? 429,
1: exactly. And so that connection to, you know, to that original audience you know, could not have been missed. Right. But that play quickly becomes about much bigger things. Yes. It's, it's about. I mean, it's it's about you know uh, knowledge. It's about knowledge. Destiny, it's about, fate. It, it's about you know are are the are the are the gods reliable? You know, right. Are they uh, how how removed are they?
0: It's and, about not being able to see, but having a kind of supernatural knowledge that the gods give. Yes. When you've lost your vision.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, but uh, on, but only a really great playwright can do both things yes can connect some contemporaneous event to a, a theme that has you know um, transgenerational interest
1: right right. So I I've, I've found that that interpret this interpretation for this play I mean this is this is just me that um, okay it'd be, it's interesting you know who does Zeus represent? But for that to be kind of the final word in the play, that makes the play much less interesting for me. Yes, I mean, definitely. I think it's really interesting to look at this as a as a as a piece from a particular historical context, which right. is, which is always important. Um, but I'm much more interested in, in questions like we were talking about, um, you know, the motivation of Prometheus yep. and and the removal of of uh, of a future site as a gift.
0: So maybe another um, point of contrast mm-hmm. would be to compare how the characters are treated here to how they're treated in Aristophanes' comedies. Okay. So if making fun of a character like Cleisthenes or Cleon, if you make fun of them by name or the parody is too close, right? I mean, it's it's too obvious. Mm-hmm. Then you have to be all that more talented to make it something of lasting interest. Yes, yes, yes. Because yes. nobody's going to care a thousand years from now you know which Republican or Democratic Congressman from Wyoming or New Jersey didn't get some particular committee appointment? Right, 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 right. Who, uh, who cares? I can't imagine. But we're still reading about Cleon and Cleisthenes because even though they're by name, Aristophanes has done something exceptionally brilliant with them.
1: Exactly, and even Aristophanes, he can, you know, he can get into those weeds. I'm I'm, I'm translating um, his Lysistrata right now. And it, there are a number of moments where, if you look at the commentaries, we say this is a joke about so, this person. We have no idea what this means. Right, right. right. And, and it, well, that's it, a good thing to remember. Yeah, maybe it killed him. You know, in four eleven. Right, but <laughs> but I mean, that's not that's not the end of the story. I mean, the Aristophanes comedies endure because um, they're they're much bigger than just those little throwaway jokes.
0: Yeah, right? it's like parachute pants. Par- <laughs> no. right? How is it like parachute pants? Well, because for a moment, <laughs> you know, that's a funny reference. <laughs> But yes. a thousand years from now, that's gonna be, you know, in the weeds yes, kind of exactly. You know, nobody's gonna know what what in the world is is this about? Did they find this funny? Did they wear this for
1: right. you know Were they constantly jumping out of planes nineteen eighty three, right, right? Did you have a pair?
0: No. <laughs> it's just not some kind of a tell all. But speaking of parachute pants, yes? it's time
1: for the ads. Let's do it. This episode of Ad Nauseam is brought to you by the good folks at Ratio Coffee. Mark Helwig, that genius, that that brewmaster out there in Portland, Oregon, he just keeps doing it, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And so um, we, uh, for a long time... Both of us have been using the Ratio 8. I've had the Ratio 6, these wonderful machines that uh, will last a lifetime. Uh, They're making perfect cups of coffee every single morning. Um, And there's exciting news coming down the line. Should we tell them about this? The Ratio
0: 4. Yes, we mentioned it last time. So this is going to have the same technology, the same uh, perfection of brewing that the 6 and 8 are known for. But it's going to have a smaller footprint. It's going to be uh, a little more attainable in its uh, price point. And this thing is going to sell like crazy. It's going to turn ratio into a household name. I'm pretty sure of this. Like Honda. What are yeah. some other household names? Um, Xerox. Xerox. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It- um, we got any others? Honda <laughs> and Xerox. Hydrox. Hydrox. <laughs> Do you know about Hydrox? No, what's Hydrox? It's a it's a um, Oreo knockoff. Really? Those terrible cookies.
1: <laughs> like, like, like the like uh, the like the generic brand. That's
0: correct. <laughs> Huggable portions. That's
1: right. That's right. So uh, yeah. ratio
0: is going to become a household name. Fantastic. Like,
1: and we can take all the credit. once yes, When can. they explode. Yes. Right. Now, Dave, uh, did I see you over there? Were you writing some poetry?
0: I wrote a little limerick. Okay. Yeah. It took me all of 30 seconds to do it. Okay. And it's going to show. You ready? Let's hear it. Coffee is sometimes quite bitter, mm-hmm. like an ugly and scratchy old sweater. The ratio, however, will never, no, never be bested by anything better.
1: That is not bad. Well... For, for 30 seconds, cranking that out? Except
0: bitter and sweater. It's, uh,
1: it's a, it's, it's, it, it achieves assonance.
0: Okay. Right? Okay, something along those lines. I think you should watch your language, <laughs> frankly. This is a family show. Right.
1: So, listeners, you can take advantage of a great deal we have here at Ad Nauseam. If you go to RatioCoffee.com, that's A-R-A-T-I-O-Coffee.com, and you want one of these wonderful machines, the eight or the six, and then... and, and come Look out some, for the four. Look out for the four. Um, type in this coupon code. Um, A-N-C-O-F-7. And the F stands for
0: Fibonacci. Fibonacci. And flavorful. And but only put one F in there. Just one. Just one. Just one. A-N-C-O-F-7. And Jeff, what will they get? They will get 15% off their entire order. That's an incredible deal. Please check it out. This episode is also brought to you by the wonderful folks at Hackett Publishing. Hackett Publishing has been with us for three years now. Mm-hmm. These folks, they got on board the ad nauseum bandwagon. There's an odd image (laughs) and ad nauseum bandwagon ever
1: ever ridden on a bandwagon no what is a bandwagon is a wagon like with like a brass band
0: yeah i think that's it is that what it is yeah jeff that's definitely what's it with a real long extension cord for the amplifier okay all right they got on the bandwagon three years ago Mm -hmm. and they said yes we want to support a classics themed podcast Mm -hmm. we'll get behind you guys and uh so they've been sponsoring us for three years now And we're using for this episode the wonderful translation by Professor Deborah Roberts. The previous episode heard her read a little bit of her own translation brilliantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, These folks selling fine quality translations and original scholarship for 50 some years, 52 years. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: Offices in Massachusetts and uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Jeff, what do you like about um, Hackett and your... Your challenge here is you mm-hmm. may not speak about the covers. I
1: can't talk about the covers. No, uh, I can talk about their affordability. Um, you may. Okay, they are they're they're very affordable. Um, they are high. They're high quality. Uh, the translations. Uh, I love about Hackett that they will have um, several translations of of the same work, and so you can get you can sample different styles. Uh, we've used a couple of different translations for the Metamorphoses in here. Yeah, Lombardo and Ambrose. Yep. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about the covers because the, I, I love the cover of the Prometheus Bound. <laughs> I, I knew you Bound. couldn't resist. That's right. So Is the, a
0: cover liminal? Uh, you're not quite in the book, but you're not quite out of the book. I like that. I'll you're, buy that. You're approaching it. Yeah, if you, but, you,
1: you bring, bring up the word liminal, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> I'm lost in that middle or space. Or you're at least halfway in. Halfway in, right. So this cover of Prometheus Bound has that... Um, that uh, that cracked sphere, sculptured by, by by Tony
0: Tomato, yeah,
1: right, <laughs>
0: Arnie a, Tomato,
1: Arnie, Arnie Tomato, the
0: Italian Death Star,
1: yeah. Um, and so again, uh, a suggestive image. Maybe thinking about the the world kind of coming apart at the seams right. as, as these gods duke it out. It's great. It's brilliant. It's clever.
0: And so uh, yeah, it's. So let so let's say one of our uh, were you finished? No,
1: I'm good. Yes, go on.
0: Let's say one of our listeners is saying. I want some nice cover art to line my shelves. I don't mm-hmm. want to read the books, but I want to find some really attractive looking books to put on my shelves. What should they do? It's very easy.
1: You, they should go to HackettPublishing.com.
0: Okay. How many T's in that?
1: That's H-A-C-K-E-T-T. Okay. That's a two T's. Publishing.com. Find the books that they want, drop them in the grocery basket, and type in this coupon code AN2023. That's the current year, right? It is. And that will get them, Dave, what? Uh, 20% off their
0: entire order and, and free shipping. Check it out. All
1: right, Dave, as we get back into it, um, I I want to move past this political point, but there's um, one or two more things I wanted to say. So I think you said something last time about um, maybe uh, Aeschylus here is responding to Pericles. Yeah. Pericles is is the tyrant, right? So the, the quote that you read from Hulay Jones last time said something along the lines that Aeschylus was um, very skeptical about extreme forms of democracy.
0: That was from, I think that was from Rose.
1: Was that from Rose? Sorry, you're right. Yeah, it was H.J. Rose. Um, and so is he responding to uh, some of these things that have been happening like you know, after the Persian Wars? Yes. And he's worried about what's happening in Athens. Um, it, it, so where do you fall on this? It, 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 do you see it kind of one way or the other? Or do you find that it's just a, a, not, not a very helpful... Line of questioning for kind of understanding this play
0: well one thing that's always stuck with me um and again this is from peter green Mm -hmm. the greco-persian wars he makes the point that the um the men with miltiades who won at marathon right this is in 490 right they couldn't be shaken from the belief Uh, maybe it's just the the quality of uh peter's writing or maybe he's he's right about this i'm not sure but they couldn't be shaken, the landholding aristocrats, from the belief that anytime they wanted to, a thousand or five thousand doughty uh, Athenian hoplites could leave behind their plows, could take up arms, and go beat the Persians anytime they wanted. Hmm. And that kind of deep conservatism, which characterized the old guard, was a tremendous barrier and hindrance to the development of Themistocles plans Ah. to save the state through the wooden wall. Right. 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 right, Yeah. And so, I mean, um, I'm quite conservative as you know, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I don't really have a a horse in this race, but in a sense, but I just found Peter Green's description so persuasive that he kind of captured what seemed like the political mood at the time. And when I think about the fact that, um, Aeschylus fought at Marathon yes. and the huge change in culture, a sea change, right? That came about when all of these Athenians, all of these Athenians of, of low birth, you might say, mm-hmm. are now made citizens. They're enfranchised by the Themistoclean Navy. It starts to gain some credibility. Yeah. 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 The yeah. specific person of Aeschylus, I don't know. Yes. Right. But it's not um, implausible that he would be caught up in that. Yeah. Especially since we read the part about his epitaph, right? It's it's all about his um, service at Marathon, right?
1: Right? Right? Yeah. I
0: and know. I can imagine the resentment that they would have had, yes, uh, about feeling replaced by persons who you know previously to them were nobodies,
1: yeah. And now you get to vote. Everybody's voting, right? Right. 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 No, that, that's really that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think that it, often this this story is often is told too simply, right? The right. Move, move the move from tyranny to democracy is kind of this this smooth thing, and that, uh, and we're just kind of replacing one with the next without talking about how uh, all of the the messiness yes. within that. Right? And, so and, a
0: lot of disruption. Yes. a lot of reorganization, a lot of confiscation. And I'm not saying that you know those persons should not have been enfranchised. On the whole, it was probably better, mm-hmm. and for sure, um, <clears throat> Themistocles was brilliant in saving athens right and the the old view was benighted yes but i can imagine aeschylus being caught
1: up in it yeah yeah no that's a really good point yep um, i love we i love that we have that detail um, that he fought it at, at marathon right that uh that does kind of uh color the way perhaps we, we read some of these mm-hmm. things right? and and born at eleusis he was in Eleusinia. Oh really yes
0: yeah one of your favorite places one of my
1: favorite places All so right.
0: so the chorus yep let's right. get back to them
1: yeah um they don't seem to see any point in Prometheus's suffering. Well, the chorus is doing what choruses do. They kind of, they kind of waver and they, they wring their hands and they worry about stuff. But they, they, they do say to Prometheus, you, you, you must have gone too far. I was yeah. suggesting, like, you, you, know, you say something unjustly, but you must have done something right. right.
0: Um, Zeus can't be completely arbitrary. Exactly. So just...
1: Just swallow
0: a little pride and let it go.
1: Let it go, right? And so, but of course, Prometheus knows it's 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 not that simple. He knows that this can't happen, and he, he I mean, because he can he can see the end of this thing.
0: Yeah. So now there is the arrival of Ocean himself. Yes. Not just the chorus of his daughters, the Oceanids. Right. But now one of the major characters, in addition to Hermes, and Io and Hephaestus, a much more major character than Hephaestus, he arrives and has this conversation with Prometheus. Right. Right. So is it called the Stichomathia? Yes. Right, the back and forth.
1: Right, okay. right, right. And so this is the, the, the guy that our opening quote from Constant was about, and, um, he, and the, the, a character that has puzzled many readers of this play. Right. What's he doing here? What's the point of this episode? And so um, why don't I read a bit of Robert's yes, translation Yes, please. Here. So Ocean shows up and he says, I have made quite a journey to come, come to you here, Prometheus, guiding this swift-winged bird, not by bridle and bit, but by thought. And I'd have you know that I share your pain. The fact that we're family obliges me to, I believe, and besides, I respect no one more. You may take this as true. Since it, since it isn't my way to flatter, come now and indicate, please, how I should assist you. You won't say you've a friend more steadfast than ocean. Hmm. So he, he comes off to many readers as, as kind of a blowhard. Obsequious. A, a braggart, right? I remember from this this grad seminar, I can't use the phrase my professor used because we're a family show. right? But he says... I'll paraphrase he says that Ocean shows up uh in the equivalent of a very large Buick. Okay. He comes in honking his horn. Right. And so he's he's on this this chariot with this kind of these these ridiculous kind of creatures pulling him in. He's he comes in uh for like the show stopping number from the side of the stage. He's there to make a splash, he's there to be seen. Okay. Yeah. Huh.
0: Yeah. I didn't really get that when reading the play. Am I just did I just miss it?
1: Uh I don't know. I think that the I mean the visuals of it, you know, you you have to you have to kind of you know, read into them. Mm-hmm. This um, this particular edition doesn't have a lot of, you know, those the italics with a lot of the stage directions, which right. I actually appreciate. Right. Because a lot of that stuff is just kind of pulled out of thin air. Right, right. right. But in those who see, I mean, uh, Ocean does mention these birds and at, at the beginning, at the end. And so, I mean, he's... He's, uh,
0: he's, he's saying he's ostentatious. Uh, he's
1: ostentatious, right? But, I mean, that's not the that's not the end of the world. Right. Right. So he goes to, he, he talks to Prometheus and he says, uh, he presents himself as like, you know, there's a new guy in town. Right. you know he's a he's a Titan me right? Zeus uh, the, you know, Zeus is the new guy in town and right. he, he says to Prometheus I'm a Titan you're a Titan it's time to get in line right. um, and so he's kind of a, a go-along to get along kind of guy mm. um, and he says to Prometheus if you don't get in line it's just going to get worse for you so but then on top of that he says listen you know I uh, I'm a titan, but I'm in good with the new the new um, regime. New regime. And he says I'll go and put a good word in for you uh, for Zeus, and he thinks that you know I can probably persuade him to to you know, let you go from this. Yeah, and I think we're supposed to see that as ridiculous. Okay, right? And does Ocean really have the ear of the new tyrant?
0: So it's it's false comfort. Yes, it's like one of Job's friends. Is that the idea? Yeah, he shows up and he's supposed to be helping Prometheus, but he makes it worse because he's not sympathetic with. Prometheus's purpose right. and his plan to address the situation is absurd.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. And of course Prometheus sees sees through it as Prometheus sees through everything. Yeah, see, this is one of those instances where I find you know Prometheus' um, foreknowledge of things distracting. Okay. I would much rather have a Prometheus that is reacting to Ocean in the moment and not saying, I know this guy is ridiculous because I I know I know the future and I know that he has no idea what he's talking about. Right. Right. Um, but I think that's one of the things, those paradoxes, you just have to kind of let go. Do
0: you have any friends like this or have you had any friends like this I've, when you're in a tough or tight spot and along comes Ocean rolling in in his Buick and has a lot of worthless advice and pious platitudes?
1: I've had, I wouldn't call them friends, but I've certainly had situations where people will come in, in difficult situations, clearly making promises to me that I know they can't keep. Right. And I, I know that they're saying to me what what they think I want to hear. Yeah, but there's no there's no teeth, uh, you know, behind it. Right.
0: right, but they call you. I mean, they call themselves your friend, mm-hmm. right? That's that's the kicker. Right, but you
1: don't agree on that premise. No, it, it, it's a it's a show of. Uh, it is a show it's a what the, what the people call virtue signaling type, right right i think that's what Ocean's doing he's virtue signaling mm. and uh, i think even ocean i think if you were honest he realizes no i can't do any of these kinds of things but uh, i'm here i'm going to uh, speak titan to titan and uh, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna tell this guy what he wants to hear mm.
0: okay so uh, prometheus just dismisses him right pretty yep. much out of hand yeah right he dismisses ocean without a wave <laughs>
1: Nicely done. Thank right, you. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and he he almost um, in Robert's translation seems to mock uh, Ocean. He, yeah. he, he he talks about um, the other Titans that have been punished. He talks about Atlas, you know, on the other side of the world now, and and you know going through his horrible, eternal punishment. And he seems to be saying to Ocean, "Listen, you know, you're a Titan too, and even though you might uh, be." You know, in the in the good graces of of the new guy right now, you better watch your back.
0: Right. But a more pointed criticism that Prometheus levels at Ocean is that he is complicit. Yeah. Right? Right. He's complicit in the violence and uh horrible reign that Zeus is inaugurating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. he's a kiss up.
1: He's a kiss up, right? And so he actually tells um, Ocean, "You don't, you don't know the, uh, the the guy that you're dealing with." And so uh, if I were you, I would get out and save yourself.
0: Right, because you're becoming an appeaser of tyrants. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's the real slap. It seems to me. Yeah. Not just the self protection, but you're partly to blame for
1: this. Yes. Right. Right. Right, so and it's not long after that uh, that Ocean says, kind of looks at his watch and says, "You know, I, I really got to be going. My uh, my four footed birds here are getting restless, and so um, I'm going to take off." And so it's it, it's it's an it's an abrupt uh, leaving, okay, uh, almost as if to suggest that you know, he's very uncomfortable with what Prometheus is saying, or maybe even recognizes the truth of what Prometheus is saying. Hmm, so, hmm.
0: so can I read this uh, constant quote yes. here to kind of make a full circle? Yes. Uh, to this, what we so did. this is where
1: constant kind of falls on on which ocean he sees or what it were. What he sees the purpose of this
0: episode? He falls on an ocean. He,
1: yeah, I'm sorry, I'm mixing metaphors. That's work.
0: all right. Right, right. That's all right. <clears throat> okay, Constant says it is reasonable to conclude that the issue which divides Ocean and Prometheus is not one of principle but of judgment. Therefore, it is beside the point to accuse Ocean of displaying ill will or a weak will. In his eagerness for the immediate restoration of divine harmony. Ocean telescopes the process of resolution and imagines that it is only Prometheus's attitude that stands in the way this is a mistake he is misled as prometheus observes by his light-minded good nature now error is corrected by instruction accordingly the image of the schoolmaster is central to the episode now jeff let me pause here mm-hmm. help me out so who's the schoolmaster here is Ocean trying to be Prometheus's schoolmaster?
1: I think so, and but then I think Constance is suggesting that the tables get turned. Okay. And Prometheus is the, you know, the student becomes the teacher.
0: Yeah. Is that a Kung Fu
1: reference? Is, is that where that's from? I don't know. I've heard that. Is, is,
0: David right? Carradine?
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah.
0: Ocean begins by Prometh- presenting himself to Prometheus in the role of teacher, Didascaloi, line 322, advising him, as we have seen, to control his outbursts against Zeus in the interest of an early reconciliation. The brunt of Prometheus's reply is contained in his lengthy account of the torments of his brothers Atlas and Typho uh, which Constance says I shall examine presently we talked about that a little bit yeah. right mm-hmm. Prometheus concludes this argument with an appeal to Ocean's wit and experience which ought not to require Prometheus for a teacher did a Scalu line 373 so they change they exchange pedagogical barbs you yes. might say yep okay Ocean is visibly impressed His way of speaking changes from the long speech, full of confident imperatives and pious wisdom, to brief and humble questions. What harm do you see in my courage and goodwill? He asks. Teach me, Didaskeme, or Didaskeme 382. The language underscores the fact that the relationship between Ocean and Prometheus has become reversed, and that Ocean knows it. He is the pupil, appealing to Prometheus as teacher. In the end, fully persuaded of the danger and futility of interceding with Zeus in behalf of Prometheus ocean abandons the posture of counselor altogether your unfortunate experience prometheus he concedes will be my teacher hey say prometheus simphora didaskalos all the occurrences of teacher and teaching didaskalos and didaskein, are emphasized and related in the greek by their uniform position in the last two feet of the line
1: See, I like this. I mean, I like that's a pretty brilliant interpretation. It right? is right, and I, and I, I love arguments that are are rooted in the language.
0: Absolutely. Right? Can you draw out the the gist of it? Can you summarize it for us?
1: Well, I think that he's uh, so Constant. I think he's responding to uh, you know, uh, criticisms that, that the the episode is meant is one meant to be ridiculous.
0: So the you say the the episode Ocean's conversation with Prometheus. Some critics say it's absurd.
1: It's absurd, right? Or even like we were talking about the the seeming emptiness of what ocean is saying and so uh, critics uh on that side and then also the, the critics on the other side that the ocean is nothing but kind of a um you know a a mustache twirling lackey of Zeus okay. that's just another character coming to berate Prometheus and Constance says it's really neither and I love the, this this interpretation because it, it humanizes Ocean. Mm-hmm. And ocean is persuadable in that moment, and through Prometheus' words, which I mean, Prometheus is, isn't lashing back back at Ocean. He's, he's challenging him, right? But he's not you know he's not lambasting him as a as an enemy. And Ocean changes mm. and says, "Okay, what what can I learn here?" And he sees that you know that the example of Prometheus is, is a he's a, Prometheus is a cautionary tale that he better he better um, pay attention to.
0: Yeah, that's very well said. Yeah. would you say also that Ocean underwent a kind of sea change? <laughs>
1: Well, if that's the current way we're ah, at it. Nice, right. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Well, oh, that man. seems
0: like a good place uh, to maybe wrap this up yes. to bring the boat to shore. You might say, yes, and uh, <laughs> shut this down.
1: But I know you wanted to talk about Io tonight.
0: I did want to talk about, but IO. that's going yeah. to have to
1: wait till next time. Right. right? I think there's a lot of really interesting things to say about Io.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yep. All right. So we're up against it. Yes. And before we get out of here, Dave, say a little bit about the Moss Method and LPSI. Would you? I'd
0: love to, yep. So if you want to study Greek with me, go to mossmethod.com and check out my program. Module one is done. Module two is done. Module three is almost done. How many modules will there be? There'll be four. Excellent. Unless I decide it's more profitable to add others and then there'll be more. I'm kidding. (laughs) There's only four. Charles Melville Moss wrote this great book called A Greek Reader. And he says, uh, when reading Greek, you should use your mind, not your thumbs. You don't have to spend all your time in the lexicon. Think about the story. Follow the story. And that's kind of the method that we use. So if you've studied little or no Greek before, this is where you can start. Uh, I have several students who took Greek in seminary, but um, either they've kind of, you know, been out for a long time, or they want to go deeper, and they have found this program to really, really help them Excellent. Uh, appreciate some of the literary aspects of the Greek language. Fantastic. So go to mossmethod.com, check out some of the free lessons and um, instructional videos. If you like it, sign up, and you can join them office hours every Friday.
1: And uh, Dave, you you can also uh, teach interested uh, learners out there Latin as well, right?
0: That's correct. So LatinPerdm.com slash LLPSI using the uh, very famous book by Hans Orberg, Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata. And this takes you ab initio, from the ground up, from the very beginning. And uh, it's very important if you're going to learn a new language that you start right. You have to have a proper foundation. And uh, like I like to say... I think this is probably the best value for language study. It's um, not the cheapest, um, it's not very expensive. Um, there may be other courses that are better, I can't say, but the combination of the two, it's a really excellent value.
1: And with this one, uh, in the instructional videos, you are teaching I'm uh, teaching students. four students, live right? students, yes. yep.
0: And so, you know, sometimes being on the spot for Latin is challenging, but if you can watch someone else be on the spot and, and learn beside them, that can be actually quite entertaining. Indeed. And uh, I think it's a good time. So go to LatinPerdiem.com, check it out my YouTube channel almost 2000 free instructional videos.
1: Fantastic. Excellent. All right, hey, um, big thanks as always to Mishka our great engineer who with uh, the turnaround time and the summing is amazing. So, um, again, many, many thanks to, to her.
0: I'd like to thank um, the guys that provide us the free music. Uh, yes. Scott Van Zen mm-hmm. and Ken Tamplin yep. for the intro and outro with the screaming guitar and then the nice bumper music for the ads. Very grateful for their generosity.
1: Yeah. And hey, if you want to shout out, if you have a question, you have a comment, you have a complaint, you can write to us. Write to dave at ad nauseum.com. Don't forget the V.
0: Send complaints to jeff at ad nauseum.com. Do not forget the V. You can go to the website and you can check out our Lurch with Merch mm-hmm. section if you'd like to get a nice uh, T-shirt that is classically themed. It has this uh, tag on it, Quinoquent Dokent from Erasmus. Mm-hmm. The things that hurt, they teach. They teach. Yes. That's right. Very nice, uh, attractive black and orange Yes, and, and
1: very seasonal colors. Right yes, now.
0: they look uh, like orange or maybe sort of like a red figure vase. Yes. Very attractive. good stuff. So, Jeff, yep. um, what's what's on the agenda for next week? Next
1: week, we're going to wrap up a look at uh, Prometheus Bound, and I'm looking forward to talking about, about Io.
0: Yes, this yeah. poor woman turned into a cow who now wanders the world and suffers. Yes, yep. And um, I guess I want to know... Uh, you have the Gustatory Parting Shot. I do. Yes. Okay.
1: This comes from uh, comedian Patton Oswald. Okay. Never uh, heard of him. Uh, I bet you'd recognize him. He's all been right. in a lot of stuff. Um, but he has this bit and talking about kind of the absurdity of you know various fast food items. And okay. He has this bit talking about the KFC Famous Bowl, which I've never had. So, but uh, yes. The KFC. What is a What is a KFC Famous Bowl? Is it famous? Is it a new uh, a new item? I think I think so. But it's one of these things where they basically take all the stuff that KFC makes and just kind of dump it together. Oh in a, no! In a bowl. <laughs> all right. So. This is a, a quote from one of his bits in the middle of this. And, okay. and so uh, Oswald says, stop right there. Can you pile all of those items into a single bowl and just kind of make them into a wet mound of starch that I can eat with a spoon like I'm um, a death row prisoner on suicide watch? Is there a way that the bowl can play this Mortal Coils I'll, It'll End in Tears album while I'm eating it at 2 a.m. in the morning in my darkened apartment just kind of staring into the distance? If you could put my lunch in a blender and liquefy it and put it into a caulking gun and then inject it right into my femoral artery, even better. But until you invent the lunch gun, I would like a failure pile and a sadness bowl. <laughs> oh
0: that's so grim. That's right. That's so grim. Right. So
1: I mean he does this in that in you know a kind of a very faux yeah. anger, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, resentment style. It's yeah. very it's very fun. Huh. It
0: you did a great job. Thank you. Thanks for listening.